Amen. First Samuel chapter number 16 and verse number 13. I, I feel like I am just going to pick up the ball where Brother Spell left it last night and keep on running down the field today. Bishop turned to me during the preaching last night and said, this is a conference of warfare. And I felt such a witness in the Holy Ghost. How many of you understand that there is a commissioning in the Holy Ghost that is taking place this week? God is calling soldiers from the reserves onto the battlefield this week. My, my. First Samuel 16 and 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. For a few moments this morning, I want to preach about the day of anointing. The day of anointing. Would you put your Bibles down and clap your hands unto the Lord one more time in this place? And as you clap your hands, would you give him a shout with a voice of triumph in this place? Go! Come on, I dare somebody to shatter the atmosphere with a voice of trial, war cry in this place. Come on, are there any young people in this building that would lift up your voice and shout with a voice of triumph in this place? Woo! Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. I'm going to move away from this text and hopefully make it back this morning. In studying numerology in the Bible, it is important to understand the significance of the number 40 in Scripture. Of all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament, Perhaps none is as pervasive and as important as shadows that are revealed in the relationship between the number 40 and the fulfillment of promises. I don't have time to reference all of them today, but there are many examples that we could talk about. In Genesis chapter 7, the rain in Noah's day fell for 40 days. And for 40 nights. In Exodus chapter 16, Israel ate manna for 40 years. In Exodus chapter 24, twice Moses was with God in the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses led Israel from Egypt at the age of 80 years old, a product of the factors 2 and 40. And after 40 years in the wilderness, he died at the age of 120, the product of the numbers 3 and 40. The spies in Numbers chapter 13 searched the land of Canaan for 40 days. 
In Numbers chapter 14, God made Israel wonder for 40 years. In Judges chapter 13, Israel did evil and God gave them over to an enemy for 40 years. In Jonah chapter number 3, God gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. In Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, Jesus was tempted for 40 days. And in Numbers 32 in Hebrews chapter 3, we can see that God calls 40 years the time of a generation. And so it is with this picture in our minds when we read about Goliath standing and challenging the people of God, uh, there is an interesting connection with the number 40. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 16 says, And the Philistines drew near, or the Philistines, speaking of Goliath, drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And it was on the 40th day that Jesse sends David to the camp. There is a sense of the significance of the timing. What looked like an ordinary assignment turned into a divine appointment. What looked like a mundane errand being ran for his father turned into a divine appointment with destiny. Can I preach to some young people in this house? Whatever you do, don't despise the ordinary assignments. Don't despise small duties because it is often from the construct of your commitment to the mundane and the ordinary and the repetitious duties of the kingdom of God that God will orchestrate divine appointment from your life. It is often out of your commitment uh, to tending to the daily tasks uh, and requirements of the kingdom uh, that God will set up uh, a divine appointment in your destiny. For 40 days, this giant keeps presenting himself to an army of men that are armed, but they're not dangerous. Swords that are polished and shields uh, that are bright and shiny. Armor that has been prepared for battle, but a lack of willingness uh, to engage in the battle. Uh, can I keep it real this morning? Uh, I'm from the hood, and where I come from, uh, we call those kind of people wannabes. Uh-huh. We, as one songwriter wrote, he said, you got fake tattoos all around your collar, and if I took you to my hood, you'd be hollering for your mama. All dressed up and no place to go. Look like they're ready for battle, but they're afraid to step on the battlefield. Look like they're ready for warfare, but they're afraid to engage. 
Can I bring it home? They show up to church and they look like they're anointed, but there's no engaging in the battle. Look like they're ready for church, but they sit on a pew while the preacher's preaching. Look like they got the Holy Ghost, but when the Spirit gets to moving, they're unshaken. Hear me, somebody, God didn't call you to be a pretty toy soldier sitting on a shelf. God called you to engage in the battle. I wonder if I'm preaching to anybody in this place that's armed and dangerous this morning. I don't just look anointed. I've got a sword and a shield, and I'm ready for battle. Come on, I know it's well, I know it's Thursday morning, and you're supposed to sit quiet, but I wonder if I've got any warriors in this place today. Come on. Come on, honey. God didn't call you uh, to sit on the pew uh, and be an apostolic diva. He called you to battle. Uh, come on, sir. God didn't call you uh, to sit on the pew uh, with your designer suit and tie and be Mr. Apostolic uh, GQ. Uh, God called you uh, to the battleground uh, to face a real giant, uh, to fight a real enemy, uh, to stand up uh, and honor the name of the Lord. You can't look pretty and win battles, baby. You got to be willing to get ugly with it. Some of y'all would rather look cute and get whipped. I'd rather look a mess and have my foot on the head of the enemy. I don't care if I look cute. My time might be crooked before the service. My shoes might come off. Your bobby pins might fall out. But baby, I came to do war. And if I got to shout, I'm going to beat the enemy. If I've got to run, I'm going to have victory. There's somebody in this place that came to do. There's a call of God in this house for a generation of young people to come out from off of the shelf. Come out from behind the pretty glass window and be the soldier and the warrior that God called you to be. Come on. Come on, that nice suit uh, isn't going to weed any devils. Uh, come on, that nice dress uh, isn't going to whip a devil. Uh, but if there are some young people uh, that got a made-up mind uh, and a determined spirit, What's with this deal of us making the preacher preach for 30 minutes before we, we feel like we can have a move of God? I'll tell you what my mama taught me in a fight. She said, when it's getting ready to go down and everybody's talking back and forth, she said, swing while they're talking. Surprise them and hit them with the first punch. Come on, somebody. I'm not waiting to go on the defense. I'm starting out on the offense. The battle belongs to the Lord. Victory is ours. 
when you recognize that no weapon uh, that is formed against you shall be able to prosper it'll cause you to walk out uh, on a battlefield uh, with a boldness uh, that says I can't lose uh, the God I served uh, defeated a lion uh, and a bear uh, and surely uh, he's going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand Come on, are there any young people without hesitation that run to a battle? I run to that. Oh, I'm ready to respond right now. I'm ready to have church. I'm not waiting for a special moment. I'm not waiting for an opportunity. Somebody said it's war time, and here I am. Can I throw this in here this morning? Uh, that new giants uh, can fall with old weapons? Come on, I said new giants uh, will fall with old weapons. Uh, how many of you understand that prayer uh, can bring down a giant? If my people, uh, which are called by my name, uh, will humble themselves uh, and pray uh, and seek my face uh, and turn uh, from their wicked ways, uh, then I will. Uh, God said, I, uh, your prayer uh, will cause God uh, to stand up uh, against giants uh, that are in your life. James says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word availeth is the word eschuo, which means to release force. Something happens uh, when young people begin to pray. Uh, something happens uh, when you begin to pray with energy, uh, with fervency. Uh, there is a force uh, that is released against the enemy. Uh, there is a power uh, that is unleashed uh, against the giants. Uh, I said giants uh, will fall with old weapons. That's why a prayerless church uh, is a powerless church. Uh, I'm going to say it again. That's why a prayerless church uh, is a powerless church. Uh, your power against the enemy uh, is predicated uh, on the depth of your prayer. How many of you understand that preaching still brings down giants? I wish I had some help in here. Uh, Hebrews 4 and 12 says, uh, For the word of God uh, is quick uh, and powerful uh, and sharper uh, than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. When Jesus faced the devil, he said, It is written. He whipped that giant with the word of the Lord. It is written, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. It is written, men shall not live by bread of alone. If you're going to take down a giant, you've got to have the word of the Lord in your heart.
How many of you understand that anointed worship still brings down giants? Psalm 1, I wish I had a witness in the building. Psalm 149 said, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment that is written. This honor have all the saints. Praise ye the Lord. Come on, toy soldiers. It's time to turn the crank and get out of your pew. I'm preaching to toy soldiers. Did you come to have church or did you come to look cute this morning? Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud sounding cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on, there's still some of us hiding behind rocks and hiding behind bushes and observing what's going on. God needs some battlefield warriors in this place that will answer. God, have mercy. I want to press on, but I feel a junction in the Holy Ghost. Uh, I feel a, a timing uh, in the Holy Ghost in this service right now. There's somebody that's going to make a decision right now. I'm about to engage uh, in this service. Uh, I'm about to engage uh, in this call today. Uh, I'm about to engage uh, the Word of the Lord for my life. Finally, at the end of the 40 days, there steps onto the battlefield a young man from a new generation. He wasn't suited with the shiny armor 
and the fancy weapons that his older brothers had on. But he had something deep in his spirit that when he heard the challenge of the voice of the enemy come against God's people, it ignited something deep inside of his spirit. There arose a holy indignation that caused him to say, is there not a cause? The reason those other men were hiding behind bushes and playing army and playing warfare is somewhere they had become disconnected from the cause. Somewhere they became disconnected from purpose because when you're connected to purpose, it drives your reaction and your action in the kingdom of God. When you're connected to cause and to per David looked around in bewilderment, said, I don't know, there's something different about you and me. You don't understand the cause, but I see the purpose. Is there not a cause? God help us. Jesus said, for this cause came I into the world. Everything in his life was connected to cause and to purpose. God help this new generation not to let go of cause, not to forget purpose, not to forget who we are, not to forget what God anointed us to do. The reason people sit in their pews when the Holy Ghost is moving in a building is they're disconnected from cause. They're disconnected from purpose. And so they're disconnected from the tangible environment of warfare that is taking place. They don't understand that the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the air and spiritual wickedness. In high, That's why they can sit like it's just another church service. But those that are connected to cause and purpose, there's a recognition. They hear something different. The voice of the enemy causes them to hear something different than the person on the pew that causes them to stand up, that causes them to stand out. Forty days ends, and the next generation steps out upon the battlefield, while the previous generation stands, and they just look at them. They just stand there, and they spectate at what is happening. Sounds like a lot of church services I'm in. Bishop, so many spectators filling the pews nowadays, coming to see what's going on. Can I tell you, there was a special call upon David's life to withstand that kind of pressure. You can pick it up when he's worshiping as he brings in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible said that he offered up a sacrifice on the seventh step, and he danced mightily, the Bible says, before the Lord. And sitting up in the window... 
is oh Michael uh, as she looks uh, at the king dance uh, and worship God uh, she has a cynical spirit uh, she has why because uh, anytime you're on the wrong side of the window uh, she should have been down there with her king uh, she should have been down there with her husband uh, she should have been doing what the rest of the kingdom was doing uh, but when you sit in a pew uh, and you become a spectator uh, looking through the window uh, at the glory of God uh, moving in a service uh, it'll cause you to become a cynic uh, it'll cause you to become judgmental and caustic uh, as you watch other people in Come on, some of you need to get on the right side of the window this morning. Some of you need to get out of the window and get down on the dance floor and worship with the anointing and worship with the glory of God. Come on, God doesn't need any more spectators. God doesn't need any more pew warmers. God needs some people that'll get out behind the ark and worship with the glory. I dare some of you to just wave at the window watchers uh, as you worship. Uh, I dare you as you run the aisle uh, to say, how you doing? Uh, how you doing? To wave at the window worshiper. You're on the wrong side of the window, baby. That's important to understand. Malachi 3 said... Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing prior to the opening of the window is just potential. It doesn't become manifest until the window is open. And the window is open when we prove God. Oh, come on, somebody. When we engage God. And the problem with being on this other side of the window is that you watch other people that are engaging the potential of God's glory. You're watching other people engage in the blessing of God, but on the other side of the window, it's only potential. It's unrealized. And so you become envious of what God, you become disconnected from the reality of their environment. You can't feel what they're feeling. You can't experience what they're feeling because you're on the wrong side of the window. But if you would get out of the window and step out where the glory of God is is falling, you would understand why David's dancing. You would understand why we run in the aisles. You would understand why we act like we... Come on, somebody! Come on, get on the other side of the window. Get on the other. I'm getting out of the window, and I'm walking through the door. I'm getting out of my pew, and I'm engaging the battlefield. Is this all right, Bishop? Let me preach to some of you sanctified, dignified adults today. Well, I just don't have the energy all them young bumpkins do. You want to know what I think the problem was with Michael? Her daddy was a king. And she never saw him dance in the presence of the Lord like that before. She had never witnessed 
Her daddy worshiped God like that before. And when kids grow up and they don't see mom and daddy lost in the presence of God, it becomes alien to them. It becomes foreign to them. They don't understand what it looks like. And so when they turn into teenagers and the Holy Ghost is moving, they're going to do what daddy did with their hands folded and their arms folded watching. Hear me, Saul. If you want Michael to be a worshiper, you better get out and learn how to worship God. Come on. Come on. Daddies and mamas are supposed to shout. Daddies and mamas are supposed to pray. Daddies and mama, come on. If you want your son and your daughter to know how to pray, they got to see mom and daddy pray. If you want your babies to know how to dance and how to shout, you've got to sh- Throughout the beginning of David's story, there is a sense of misplaced timing. His father doesn't want to bring him before the prophet with his brothers because he's the youngest and he's tending the sheep. In 1 Samuel 17, it it is sure to mention to us that out of the eight sons, David was the youngest. It also mentions that the eldest three boys followed Saul into battle. But David, the youngest, returned to Bethlehem to feed his father's sheep. His brother Eliab at one point says, what are you doing down here? You don't belong here. Who is taking care of the few sheep? Can I stop and preach that for a moment? Why does it have to be few sheep? Because anytime somebody is envious of you and jealous of God's hand upon you, they try to minimize what you're doing. They try to minimize your your efforts in the kingdom of God. They want a minute. What do you do with those few sheep? That little task, that little thing that you're assigned to, that what are you doing? You don't belong in the important places. What are you doing here? What are you doing in this arena? You're supposed to be with the few sheep. But hear me, young person, if you'll be faithful in the small things, God will call you to be king one day. If you'll be faithful and not let the voice of those that want to minimize what you're doing. for I'm preaching to somebody right now. There's some young women and young men. You're frustrated with where you're at because you're listening to the wrong voices that are telling you what you're doing is a little thing. It's a few sheep. It's a small task. It's a little anointing. But I'm telling you, it's from your call to the few sheep that God will put a crown on your head.
then Saul says to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine, to fight with him. And then he tells him why. For thou art but a youth. Indicating that age brings restriction in the battle. Now you've got to get a revelation of this. If you go over to Judges chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says that Gideon tells Jethro, or otherwise known as Jethro, to rise and slay Zeba and Zelmunna. But it says that he drew not his sword, for he feared because he was yet a youth. It wasn't that he didn't have the weapon. It wasn't that he didn't have the anointing. It wasn't that he didn't have the hand of God upon him. It was that the pressure of being too young overtook his ability to engage in the battle. I'm preaching to a generation of young people that the enemy wants to convince you you're too young. Put that sword away, David. Settle down, David. Don't, what are you getting so jumpy for, David? The enemy wants to minimize your position in the kingdom of God but I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost that God is calling you onto the battlefield God is calling you for this generation God has called you for this very hour and he's put in your hands the weapon to defeat the enemy I wonder if there are any young people in this place uh, that would make up in your mind right now. Uh, I'm going to draw the sword. Uh, I refuse to be intimidated. Uh, I refuse to wait for my day to come. Uh, I refuse. And when he gets on the battlefield, it says that David looked about and saw David, and he disdained him, for he was but a youth. All the way to the line of battle, there were voices in David's head uh, telling him, you don't have what it takes. Uh, you're too young. Uh, you don't come from the right side of the tracks. Uh, you don't have the right weapons. Uh, you don't have the experience. Uh, you don't come from the right family. Uh, your father's not a king. Uh, all of the voices uh, trying to convince David uh, why he could not step uh, out onto uh, the battleground. Uh, your daddy's not a king. Uh, you don't have what it takes. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, hear me, is that God was calling a young person onto a battlefield of a fight that chronologically didn't make any sense. In other words, in a fight that would seemingly require the maturity and the experience of grown adults that have been trained for warfare. God said, I'm calling a younger generation onto the battlefield to fight alongside their elder brother. I am preaching 
to a group of young people this morning uh, that God has called you uh, for such a time uh, as this. Uh, God has called you uh, to the battlefield uh, in this generation. Uh, don't wait uh, for your day to come. Your day uh, is here. I wish I had somebody that believed that uh, because procrastination uh, is one of the greatest tricks of the enemy. One of these days, uh, I'll apply myself. Uh, one of these days, uh, I'll learn how to memorize scripture. One of these days, uh, I'll get, no, you ain't got time. You're in the day and age of the battle right now. And God's looking uh, for some young men and some young women uh, that have applied themselves uh, on the backside of the wilderness. Uh, he's looking for some men uh, and some women uh, at the end of 40 days 40 a new generation stepped on the battlefield that had an anointing and a calling upon their life to face Listen to this. The contemporary giants that their parents were facing. They had an anointing to stand up and fight giants that didn't belong to them. They belonged to the previous generation. Giants that could have been defeated and should have been defeated by previous generations. But there are some among us that have been, have been disconnected from the cause, Brother Spell. Uh, and there was, as a result, they have compromised with the voice uh, of many Goliaths. Uh, and God said, I'm sick and tired of it. Uh, if I have to, I'll bring a generation uh, that doesn't belong chronologically uh, in this battle. Uh, and I'll put them behind pulpits. Uh, and I'll put them in prayer rooms. Uh, and I'll put them on their face in an altar. Uh, and I'll engage them uh, in the battle uh, against a giant uh, that doesn't even belong to them. I'm preaching to a generation at standout 2014 that God has called you for such a time as this. Don't wait for your pastor to do it. Don't wait for your mama to do it. Don't wait for any. God is calling you to win your city. God is calling you to lead the prayer meeting. God is calling you to teach a Bible study. God is calling Come on, God didn't give you that sword to sit there and look pretty. Pull out that sword. Step out on the I heard Bishop Wilson say this a few months ago. That the next 10 years will be the most important years of the next 100 should the Lord tarry. Young person, God is talking to you today. You don't have to wait for 10 years to figure things out. There is a call to the battlefield today. And where you will be positioned 10 years from now, will greatly be determined by your response to the Word of God today. 
Come on, I'm, I, I, feel, I feel a prophetic anointing in this house. I am preaching to some young men and some young ladies that your response to the word of the Lord today is going to set you in direction and put into motion where you're going to be 10 years from now when there is a paradigmatic shift in the kingdom of God. God is trying to put you in position. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. God is trying to bring you to the place of his anointing. God is trying to put you where the day of anointing is supposed to take place. God has a place. God has a time. God has a moment that he's trying to bring you to. He's trying to get you there. Come on, lift your hands in this place. Come on. Karabosha. I want to finish, but I, I can't finish this uh, this morning. There is a sweeping uh, of the Holy Ghost in this house. <sighs> Come on, I, I want to finish, but uh, there's an over there is a divine interruption uh, that is happening in this building. Come on. Come on, young person. It doesn't happen often, uh, but I believe that today uh, is one of those days of anointing. Uh, I believe that this service uh, has been ordained by the Holy Ghost, uh, and it's going to be a day uh, that you're going to look back uh, and say from that day uh, forward, uh, the anointing came upon my life. Uh, from that day forward, uh, there was a shift uh, in who I was. Uh, from that day forward, uh, there was something uh, about my walk with God. Come on, somebody. Come on, that's it, that's it. Uh, they're filling the altars. Come on, uh, come on, lift those hands. Uh, come on, there's some young men uh, and some young ladies uh, that need to respond right now.